What's up, guys? How are we doing? Love you, too. Hey, um, how are we feeling? Do we, get, do we enjoy the extra 30 minutes of rest this morning? I'm sure we did. Hey, if you guys have your Bibles, and if you don't, there's some in the back for you guys as well. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John 3. By this point, I'm sure you probably know where John is since we've spent the whole week in it, or at least half of this week, at least. Um, we're going to be talking about transformation, being born again. And my heart breaks for this generation because I think we live in a world of Instagram bios and Facebook bios. None of you guys probably use Facebook anymore. But uh, TikTok bios, whatever. I don't even know if they have bios on there. Essentially, what we live in is a world of titles. A world of titles. And so essentially, what we have are basically people that call themselves Christians. And they say they believe in things. And they have a Bible verse in their, in their bio. And the way that they live is exactly opposite to what it means to actually follow Christ. And I hope and pray that this message is challenging to you guys, and hopefully this is, creates a ripple effect for the rest of your life. Because what ends up happening is, man, if we actually believe what we say we believe, we actually believe in God and believe in Christ, and some of us might not even believe in him in this room, and I accept and I know that that's the, the case. But if we actually say we believe in God, Everything in our world reorients. We actually think differently. We live differently. And so what I want from you guys is it, to understand to be a Christian does not mean that your parents are Christians. It doesn't mean that you're born into a Christian home. It doesn't mean that you prayed a prayer one time. And I think sometimes the churches have even communicated that. Hey, pray to prayer. My hands are clean. I'm good to live the way that I want. And ultimately, what it ends up leaving us with is a shallow version of Christianity that's really just not represented in the Bible at all. And it's no doubt the statistics of students denouncing their faith or leaving the church after high school after their time spent at youth groups, when they go to college, is astounding. And I have to think it's because, man, we have believed in such a shallow Christianity most of our lives. What I want for you guys is to understand the true meaning of what it means to be Christian. I'm going to talk about this through the lens of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, um, and go ahead and turn there real quick. I'm going to read the passage, and then we will get started. Here's what it says. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I ask that you would challenge us this morning. And ultimately, God, as we struggle maybe even to see what it means to actually be a Christian, God, that you would make that very clear for us. God, that we wouldn't rely upon anything else but God's word when it comes to believing in Jesus Christ. So we trust you. We want to follow you. God, we want to know and how in a world filled with so many lies and so many opinions and so many different things and voices in our hearts and in our minds, that how can we see the truth clearly and follow after you? So God, I pray that this would clear things up. We love you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, if you guys want to just turn back over to the first part of the verse, we're going to start there. Here's what it says. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus, at that time, is actually a Pharisee, right? It says, there was a man of the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee. But not only was he just a Pharisee, Nicodemus was the man. Nicodemus likely was the teacher of many Pharisees. And so he would be like the equivalent of a very well-known Christian college professor, somebody who's spoken at churches, somebody who knows the word of God, who can recite the word of God. Many people believe that Pharisees actually could memorize the whole Old Testament. Some of you guys doing your memory verses right now, you're like, I can't even memorize two sentences. And so these guys, man, these Pharisees devoted their entire lives to studying the scripture. And so their entire lives was the word of God. And so you can imagine Nicodemus starts hearing about this dude that is doing these insane things, these miracles. And we've been talking about, we talked about it last night, Jesus' life and teaching. Jesus did miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet still, most of the Pharisees didn't believe. What we understand is that, man, the Pharisees, the evidence was right in front of them that Jesus was the Son of God. And even Nicodemus, somebody who should have known about the Messiah, known about Jesus, had these questions. But I want you to notice something really interesting about what he says when it says, Rabbi, in verse 2, when it says he came to him by night, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that come from God. Right away, Nicodemus is actually saying something that's pretty unique in the scriptures when it comes to the Pharisees. Nicodemus is actually accepting the fact, we know that you're from God. We know that no one could do these things unless God is with them. And so there's a sense of humility that actually Nicodemus has when he's accepting that, man, Jesus, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've come to do, but I know that you come on behalf of God because no one can do these things unless God is with them. And some of you guys in this crowd maybe even relate to Nicodemus on this level. You maybe think, man, there's just something different about Jesus You've heard about him. You've heard about him as opposed to other prophets like Muhammad and different people. 
and you've said, man, there is something different about Jesus. He, he speaks words that, in parables that are so amazing. He has great teachings. He's a great teacher. He's a good guy. But I want you guys to see the point of this. The whole point of Christianity is not to accept that Jesus is a good teacher. It's not to accept that he said some good things. It's the exclusive claim that Jesus is God. Let's dive further in. After that, you guys could go ahead and turn the page. Or I turn the page. You guys don't have to, probably. Um, And then Nicodemus responds, or Jesus responds to Nicodemus. And I love this response by Jesus. Jesus doesn't actually answer his question, right? Essentially, what is Nicodemus asking, right? Nicodemus is saying, we know you're a teacher to come from God, for only someone who comes from God can do these things. And essentially, what is Nicodemus asking? He's asking, who are you? He's like, I don't know who you are. I know you probably come from God, but I, I need you to give me something. I, I need you to tell me something because there's this bewilderment that, that, that Nicodemus has and maybe you guys have had. I and mean, who is Jesus? Is he a real person? And in the same spirit, Nicodemus is asking the question, who are you? And Jesus doesn't really answer his question here. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus immediately says what it means to follow him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus saying to Nicodemus? He's ignoring his question and he's saying, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again? It's the same question that we should be asking. What does it mean to be a Christian? In today's culture, born again Christians has this connotation, and it's been kind of the meaning of that word's actually been hijacked to, to mean something political. But the truth is, is that being a born again Christian just means that you're a Christian. It just means that you follow Christ. It just means that you're saved. It means that you know God and you follow after him. And so when Jesus says, unless one is born again, Nicodemus is probably reeling in his mind, what is this guy saying? These are strange things. Because before this, they had never heard this term before, born again. And his response is likely when he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Obviously, we know Nicodemus is asking this question. Maybe he's asking it facetiously. Maybe he's asking it genuinely, but we know the answer is not found in that. It doesn't mean another physical birth. What does Jesus respond, and how does he respond to this? And Jesus answers, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What does Jesus do in response to Nicodemus asking these questions? Man, he's trying to get to the facts about who Jesus is. What is Jesus' response? Again, he says, he clarifies what it means to be born again. He says, unless you're born of the water and unless you're born of the spirit, you cannot be born again. What is Jesus doing here? He's doing something so cool. He's actually quoting an Old Testament uh, scripture to Nicodemus. 
A scripture that Nicodemus, like I said earlier, Nicodemus would have had the whole Old Testament memorized. And Jesus is saying, you remember when Ezekiel said this in the scriptures? I'm saying it to you now, again. I'm not saying anything new. I'm saying you must be born again. Unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? You guys turn to Ezekiel 36, 26. And if you guys don't know where Ezekiel is, Ezekiel is right after the book, Jeremiah, or Lamentations, sorry. Lamentations. And it's a big book, and so you can go ahead and turn to chapter 36. And I'll give you guys some time to do that real quick. Give me a thumbs up when you guys are there. Awesome. Let's go ahead and dig in. Here's what it says, verse 25. So if you guys go down to verse 25, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, you must be born of the water and the spirit. This is what it means to be a Christian. He says this in verse 25. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what we have at the first glance is we have water, right? We have water. When Jesus says, unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, Right there we have the water. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. Jesus, unless I forgive your sins, unless you actually come to me and repent, I will clean you and remove your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. I will cleanse you with living water and you will be clean. Not only that, he says, unless you're born of the water and the spirit. Water and the spirit. And where is the spirit found? And he says, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. All your idols, I will cleanse you. And then he talks about the spirit. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Notice something interesting here. When it comes to being born again, we have no we we have no choice in the matter in a sense. We actually don't born ourselves again. We don't do this. It's actually a work of God that he does in our hearts. And so some of you guys already and your heart is becoming softened. You guys have come into this chapel and you've heard the word of God and you've heard Eric speaking to you guys as a father and he's speaking to you guys and he's wanting you guys to get the truth. And some of you guys, man, the hardened heart is starting to soften. You're starting to ask these questions. You're like, maybe, maybe this is true. And let me tell you this right now. For those of you guys who don't know this, that is God working in your heart. We are not seekers of God on our own. If we had our own way, we would go in the opposite direction. We would seek our own pleasure. We would try to be our own king. And the reason for that is because 
our ancestral mom and dad, Adam and Eve, decided to rebel. And from that day on, all of us were born in iniquity. We're born in it. We're born in our sin, and we chase after our sin. And so for us to even want to pursue God is a miracle. It's God working in your life. Some of you guys, man, agnostics, atheists, maybe some of you guys, man, you, haven't even, you don't even believe in God, but you're starting to ask the question, man, is God real? Lean into that this week because you might just encounter the God of the Bible, the one true God. So when it says that you will be born of the Spirit, that's what it means. I will put a new spirit within you. Not only that, what does he say? I will give you a new heart. I will take the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This brings me to my first point. What does it mean to actually be a Christian? And some of you guys have the questions like, man, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? Some of you guys struggle with your assurance and you think, man, I really just don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to know that I'm saved. And I want to give you guys some clarity as to what it means to actually follow Christ and be transformed. And the first thing is this. When God gives you a new heart, what is he doing? He's giving you new desires. New desires. God has given you a new heart, therefore he's given you new things to desire. And so for some of you guys, man, when you follow Christ, it's like the lights turn on. You're like, man, I can't wait to worship him. I can't wait to spend my time with him. I can't wait to go to youth group and talk about Jesus and talk about the way that he saved my life. And you feel this, this sense of love for God. And let me tell you, that's a sign that you've actually been transformed because that's a miracle. How can somebody dead in their sin actually want to praise the Lord for what he's done in your life and desire to follow him? And so what it means that Jesus actually gives us new desires is that he actually gives us a new desire for himself. We want to be close to God. If you're a Christian, do you love him? you got to ask yourself the question, if you're doubting your salvation, if you're doubting whether or not you've, you've, you know him, you have to ask the question, man, do I love him? Do I love him? Has God given me a new heart? Because if, if I actually love him, and it's not a perfect love, let me, just, let me just tell you guys that. It's not a perfect love, right? Some days we, we, we are on fire and we love him, and some days it's harder, and, I'm, and I accept that. But it's an evident love in your life. And you ask yourself, man, some of your actions, the way you live, do you love him? And if the answer is yes, then man, I rejoice in the fact that you've been born again. I rejoice in the fact that you've been transformed, that God has made you new. Another sign of somebody who's a believer is this. Somebody who wants to distance themselves as far away from their sin as possible not saying that you become perfect. The whole point of the Christian life is a process. And some of us, men still struggle with habits and sins as Christians. And we never make an excuse for it. We never do. The book of Romans is clear about that. Shall we sin more that a grace abound? By no means. We don't make an excuse. But the truth is, and even Paul admits this, is that from time, time and time again, we fall into temptation. We fall into sin. And we have to recognize that. John 1 8, or 1 John 1 8 says, Anyone who says they're without sin deceives themselves. 
So we have to be honest, man. We still fall into sin. But the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is somebody who wants to distance themselves. Their desire is to be as far away from their sin as possible. Not running towards it. Not celebrating. Get a sense of power from their sin. For some of us who look at things online and struggle with it, man, one of the, th- the signs of somebody who actually believes is that it just breaks their heart. I want to stop doing this. Fall into bad habits all the time. And I want nothing more than to be as far away from my sin as possible. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. If you're a Christian, that's what you do. You separate yourself as much as possible. There's a statistic I read this morning about young people in social media, teenagers, and it says that teenagers, on average, before the pandemic, spent about seven hours on social media a day. Average. Seven hours. And once the pandemic hit, the average kind of rose to about nine hours a day. That's how much time the average teenager in America around the world spends on social media. And let me tell you this. As somebody who follows Christ, it's really hard for me to see how we can actually flee from youthful lusts, how we can actually flee from sin when we're spending nine hours a day on our cell phones in social media. Temptation is bound to show up in front of our faces. And what happens when temptation shows up in front of our faces? We fail right? We're far too weak. We go down the rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. Maybe we have a good day here and there, a good three days, but then one bad day happens. You spend nine hours on social media, and then you fall down the rabbit hole, and you look at things you're not supposed to look at, and you feed the addiction that you're wanting so desperately to get rid of in your life. Let me just tell you the facts. The average American teenager spends nine hours on social media alone, Nine hours. Where's, where's it even time for homework? Like, you know, it's like you go, you go home after school. When do you go to sleep? It's not only affecting our temptation. It's just affecting our psychology and our, and our psyche and, and, uh, and the way that we see the world and how we see ourselves. It's almost like we see a third person when we present ourselves on social media And what I want from you guys to recognize, to be a Christian, we actually have to take action against our temptation. Flee youthful lusts. Have a plan to figure out, man, I got to separate myself from this. I got to get rid of this in my life. It's stealing my joy. So number one, transformed heart means that you've been transformed and you now love God. You want to pursue him. You love him. You want to know him more. And if we say that we love him, like Eric was talking about a couple nights ago, then we would want to spend time in his word. Because if we say we love him, we want to know him more. Number two, the transformation takes place means that we want to distance ourselves from our sin as much as possible. We actually hate our sin. We hate it because God hates it. God hates our sin. Do you guys know that? talks about in 2 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, the Holy Spirit is grieved by our sin. It grieves him. We're going to talk about it more. Your sin not only frustrates God, but it grieves him. Why? 
Why? Because God is holy and he's perfect and he's just. And he's creator. And he's created us to be in his, imi- in his image. And nothing distorts his image more than sin. Not only that, sin just destroys you guys. It does. Many of you guys don't even have a problem with me saying that because you recognize in your own life the amount of guilt and shame that is brought up in your life over and over and over and over again. The amount of times you think beating yourself up over and over again is going to change it. It's not going to change it. What's going to change it? A love for God. Recognizing that you're a sinner. Saying, accepting the facts and the truth. And to say, you know what, I am. And I need you, Jesus. Begging him to transform you day by day. And that brings me to my third point. The third point is transformation doesn't just happen once. Yes, you were born again at one point. But throughout your life, you are being transformed and conformed to his image. Every single day. Every single day, you have a choice to make. Am I going to renew my mind? Paul talks about it. He says, be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. And that doesn't just happen once. We are sinners. Like I said, we fall into temptation. So what do we need to do in the mornings? We need to what? Renew our minds. And how do we do that? We ask God to. We pray to him. We seek him in his word and we say, God, please help me renew my mind. Please help me live for you today. And as temptations come, help me flee as much as possible from them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what Jesus says when he prays. Lead us not into temptation. Not be tempted and then feel that I'm strong enough to fight it off. (laughs) That never happens. You think that you're like strong enough to spend all these hours on social media, but we're not. So what do we do? We don't spend that much time on social media. We don't, we turn off our phones when we need to spend time with the Lord. We remove ourselves from temptation. We flee the lusts. We flee all these things. We make no provision for the flesh. That's what it says in the word. And some of you guys, I'm going to close with this real quick. Some of you guys think, man, just reading your Bible is going to fix it, right? And I want you to know, first and foremost, the only way, the only way we're actually going to be able to overcome some of the sins in our life is by recognizing God is better. And by recognizing that Jesus not only loves me as his son or his as his daughter, God the Father, as his son or as his daughter, but recognizing, man, God, I love you. I love you, and I don't want to grieve you, and therefore, if I say that I love you, then I need to live for you, and I need to remove myself from these distractions. It's not coming in a place where just trying to stop doing things, just trying to be like, I'm just going to stop watching pornography. I'm going to stop abusing substances. I'm going to stop Um, crossing boundaries with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm just going to stop these things. Man, we need to recognize that that doesn't really work for us. Ultimately, what works is saying, God, help me love you more. 
Because unless I love you more, there's no shot I have at killing these sins. And for some of us, when we say that we love him, then we become convicted. Because God says, okay, I trust you, but you've got to make this decision. You've got to make this decision to break up with this person. You've got to make this decision to get rid of your phone. You've got to make this decision to delete your Instagram for good. You've got to make these decisions. And when that happens, you can know that it's from the Lord. Because why would you want to do that? It's the Holy Spirit within you. And I'll close with this. I know I said I, I, that in, you know, just a moment earlier, but... When we become born again, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe that Jesus came to die for our sin, and that he was raised on the third day, and that not only did he came to die for our sin, but he came to raise us back to life, when we profess to believe in that, our worldview changes. Our worldview changes. In the amount of conversations I've had with people who consider themselves Christians, that still believe the way the world does. It's not an option anymore. Why? Because you've just professed to believe in Jesus Christ. And what that means is that you have admitted that he is your king. And if he is your king, Jesus, God himself decides how we are to live our lives. And what are we to believe about certain sins? And what are we to believe about what it means to be a man or to be a woman? And our worldview changes and it doesn't make sense for us to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I still believe in these other things. It's like, it doesn't work that way. I mean, if you believe in Christ, then you have no other option to say, your word over mine. You are king, and I am not. And I'm tired of these opinions, and I'm tired of all these different things that society throws at me. What does your word say, God? Because I want to know the truth. Jesus himself, some of us claim, we're like, I'm just a Jesus person. I just want to have a relationship with Jesus. Great. You want to know the number one way you can grow in your relationship with Jesus? Spending time in his word. Why? Because Jesus himself quoted the word more than any other prophet. And Jesus himself was a man of the word. He relied upon it. It was his daily bread, the savior of the world. I love you guys, and I want you guys to be set free from your sin. Tonight, Eric's going to talk about that, and I pray that you guys are open to this idea, and that you'd recognize, man, even if it's hard, even if it, even if it feels convicting, man, lean into that and recognize the reason that we're doing this is because we love you, and we want you guys to know the truth, and I want the truth to set you free. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for <clears throat> your word, and I'm thankful that you are a God that transforms lives. And uh, God, I pray that you would continue to convict and challenge students throughout the week. And not only students, but counselors. Not only counselors, but youth pastors. Recognizing, God, man, when we veer away from your word, what we're veering away from is the truth. God, would you convict us, help us, transform our minds transform our minds to see the way that you see things knowing that man it doesn't happen right away God that you continually work through us in time 
in a world where we use the words like breakthrough and all these different things, meaning one singular moment, all of a sudden, we, the lights turn on and we're changed. That only happens in salvation, but God, throughout our lives, may we recognize that it's a process and that we need to turn to you and walk towards you and recognize, God, that you love us. It's the most important thing for us to know, God, that you love us, your children, and you want us to come home. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.